Abba, we love you. We're here for you. We're here to be renewed by you. There is revival to be had for the city, for this group, for each of us in our hearts. We know that. We know that this revival starts with knowing you more, and that's what we ask for tonight. We give this to you. I give my words to you. Amen. All right. I'm going to talk, in case you didn't know, by the title on the screen about what it means to be a royal priesthood. Um, and I want to start with drop everything you think you know about priests, drop everything you think from like Catholicism, like they have priests, right? Drop all the like goody feelings too of like, yay, a royal priesthood. The very first verse is going to have goody feelings in it. I know I just said drop them, but let it be not, what does this mean to you? But what does this mean to the people the Bible was actually written to? We do a lot of working ourselves into the text, trying to make the text what we want, what it makes us feel best, whatever, instead of trying to take on the heart and the personhood of those who actually wrote the scripture and who they wrote it for. First verse, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. said drop all your feel good and the first thing you're going to read is you get to come to the throne of the lord right that's feel good to me i'm cool with that uh, right before this it talks about how the lord the word of god cuts to heart and or soul and spirit bone and marrow like lots of not so feel good things because you were exposed before the father that's the context but what i want to look at if it'll go is what it means that we have a great high priest first because uh the we're going to read the next verses are going to walk through a little bit but the priesthood worked this way where you had a lot of priests and a specific high priest that specific high priest gave the yearly sacrifice for atonement by himself nobody else did it nobody else touched it you were not allowed in the tent there were two other people that had anything to do with it they were the ones who took the goat for Azazel out into the woods. We're not going to talk about that tonight. It's a deeper study and it's got Enoch involved. If you're interested, hit me up. We'll do that together. Um, but, and the one who cleans up the mess. <laughs> not fun parts of it. And I think we just skim past this. We read these, we like as a body, this body reads these verses a lot. And I don't know that we really know what it means for Christ to be the high priest. So I want to read Hebrews 9, 2 through 7. Uh, Hebrews has a lot of language of priesthood and what it means. I suggest reading through it if this is something you want to dig into more. I think I said 2 through 3, 9, 2 through 7. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was the second section called the most holy place having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered it on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot, know, we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into this first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, after he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. All right. Uh, the sin offering offered every year is for the unintentional sins of the people. The burnt offerings throughout the year are like general sin offerings. Um, I was very confused about that, so I just feel like I wanted to clarify it to everybody. <laughs> Um, but I want to walk through for a second this idea that there are two sections of holy place. I love that there is a most holy place because it kind of automatically says there is a less holy place, but you would never call it that, right? Um, the actual Greek is the holy of holies. 
So it is the place that is set apart from the Lord, even within what is already set apart from the Lord. And it's the place where the Ark of the Covenant rests. It's the place where um, this, this Ark, the point of the Ark is to hold the tablets, right? And the tablets are the, written by the hand of God. They are the literal word of God. Um, believe it or not, God himself did not write our Bible, right? He did write the <laughs> tablets for Moses of the Ten Commandments to bring to his people as part of their covenant. That's why the Holy of Holies is most holy, because it holds the Word of God. Okay? It's why literally you die if you go near it. Because it, they call it the mercy seat, because it is literally like a mercy for us to live in a covenant with the Lord, let alone to not die, let alone to be able to just kill animals to be clean. And so, just for half a second, because again, it's easy to just diminish what Jesus did. It's easy to forget what a high priest even means. Um, obviously, Jesus dying for all of mankind is a bigger deal than anything they could have had the Levitical priest do, right? But in Leviticus 16, that's the breakdown. If you want to read it, go for it. We're not going to read it tonight. Um, it's just not a, it's not a fun book to read together, all right? But he has to give a sin offering for his own house of a bull, a sin offering of a goat for the people. He has to like wear the special clothes. He has to bathe a certain way before and after, but he also has to give burnt offerings. He can't give those in the clothes, but the incense he has to do in the clothes and he has to rub the like blood special ways on the altar, special places on the altar. He's, and we forget too, like sacrifice is dirty, messy, nasty, right? Like this is a big deal. It's a long process. He's not allowed to be with anybody. Like even his sons, the other priests, like they're not allowed with him. He's doing all of this alone and every single year. And that's why, let's hit the next one. Hebrews 7, 26 through 27. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests who offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Okay. Jesus did not have to do them daily. He did not have to do the annual one. He didn't have to do any of this. He offered the perfect sacrifice once. A lot of tonight, we're going to talk about what it means to be the other priest, because believe it or not, we are all not high priest, right? The high priest, Jesus, I don't think I included this verse it's in Hebrews. It explains that Christ is seated in the most high place, right? So unless you are actually in heaven with the Father right now, you are not also a high priest. Just Christ. Just get one of those. Okay? But if we skip past the fact that our high priest no longer does these sacrifices, most of the priesthood loses a lot of its point. Like, you're not doing the sacrifices, you're not cleaning up after the sacrifices, you're not cleaning, like, all you're going to be doing is, like, worshiping and blessing people. And, like, that's a beautiful thing to do. But things have changed for us because of Christ in a couple ways. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. First way is that we are perfected. We're not the, it, like the those sacrifices were for the priests too, right? And the priest had like rule after rule after rule of purity. They had to follow. like Leviticus is written for the priest of Levi. That's I didn't mean to make noise with that. I'm not angry. It's cool, <laughs> um, but they have like a whole extra rule book because of honestly the purity required to come before the Lord, but the fact that you have to give an atonement every year for unintentional sins, that's why you have to be so much more careful when you're going to be a priest. Mark 15, 37 through 39. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. We like this verse. I love this verse. I think it's incredibly important we understand the veil was torn. It kind of, that Hebrews 4 
14 through 16 that first part of like we go to the throne we go to the throne of grace we are only able to do that because the veil was torn because before the veil was torn you died when you did that and so i think first we have to understand the holiness of our lord and the unholiness of man without christ i know we get it i'm not really gonna like teach about what it means to be a priesthood without it though let's hit hebrews 10 19 through 22, we're going to talk a little bit more about what it actually means, the veil is torn, that we go near to the throne. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts. Uh, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Right. It's kind of the, the basics of a priesthood are that the priests are the ones that go into the first curtain, right? Now we go into the first curtain and there is no second curtain. What? It doesn't mean, it doesn't make us Christ, doesn't make us the holy priest, but it gives us access to the Father. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit about what it means to have access to the father how that works right but i want to talk first about what it means to be a priesthood because we like to jump right and absolutely christ has cleansed us he has done the thing that makes us able to be priest at all let alone priests that don't have a curtain to protect us from the god most high because the protection from the god most high and our unholiness has gone because we've been washed So, 1 Peter 2.9, this is the title of the teaching. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Most of the beforehand of this is kind of opening the background to what I want to ask next, which is what in the world does it mean to be a priesthood? Kind of know like how it works now, right? Like you go into the... You go into the curtain, you do the sacrifices, you do the blessings, you got a high priest, he cleans, he, bless you, <laughs> he does the sacrifice for atonement. We know, now we understand Christ only had to do that once, everything has changed, right? But if we are called priest, what in the world did that mean? Because it doesn't mean, it, there's a lot more work to it, I guess is really what I want to say. There's a lot more commitment to it. To be a priest is your whole life. And we don't mean that. I think we think to be a priest means like if somebody asks us if we believe, we should say yes. And we should maybe say like, I think you should too, you know? But so Joshua 18, seven through seven, the first half of it is just the Levites have, sorry, the second half of it, like it's, it's in a list of giving like the portions to the, Israelite tribes. <laughs> so the Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. And so there's reference after reference, actually, to like, the Lord gave the heritage to the Levites. So they get the priesthood. You'll see arguments in scholarship of like, are the Levites the priests, or are they only the Levites that are sons of Aaron the priest? And like, back and forth, it's because some of the sources phrase things one way, and some sources phrase them another. Not here to fight tonight. This isn't really like a theology teaching lesson. Feel free to look it up. My vernacular is usually going to be the Levitical priest. That's probably because the book of Leviticus is for the Levitical priest more than anything else. But... The story we have in Exodus of the setting apart of the entire tribe of Israel, of, of the Levites of Israel. This is what it looks like to earn the priesthood. Exodus 32, 25 through 29. This is right after the golden calf. If you don't know what the golden calf is, Moses goes onto a mountain with God to receive the covenant, the Ten Commandments, and also a bunch of other information like the fact that Aaron should be high priest. Okay, and what that entails. And while he's up there for 40 days, the people make a golden calf to worship and Aaron lets them. Aaron, the high priest. Yeah, he like, he like actually says, gather your gold and put it in the fire. Like, yikes. 
Exodus 32, 25, 29. This is right after Moses comes back down. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision, to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gates of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each... And each of you killed his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about three, 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. What's the cost of the ordination of the service of the Lord? Your son and your brother. 3,000 men of your tribe. That's a pattern also. We're not going to read every single pattern, but what I want to hit is Numbers 25, 11 through 13. Um, it's kind of, I think of it as like the narrowing of the priesthood. So if you think about, it makes a lot of sense to me because you think about Abraham, he receives the promise and the promise goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Joseph to Jacob. Jacob to Joseph. Jacob to Joseph. Okay. So like the promises like go down the sonship, right? It doesn't like neglect the original promise, but that promise gets narrow. So in this, the priesthood is given to the, it's like Phinehas, it's spelled Phineas with an H in the middle of it. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Sorry, should have looked it up. Um, so the Israelites have given themselves to the gods of another nation. They are marrying their women, having children with them, worshiping the balls, okay? Moses says, bring the men who are doing this. We are going to kill them. Pattern. Pattern one. Um, in the middle of them weeping before the tent because they're killing their brothers and sisters because they have sinned before the Lord and gone astray and stepped into the snare that he warned them about. This man, this other man, not Phine Phineas, Phine Phineas, Phineas, we're calling him Phineas. Phineas yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he like parades his wife in front of his his foreign wife who he worships another god with in front of them all and goes into his tent with her and Phineas um follows them angrily and drives a spear through both of them this is the response of the lord Phineas, oh. the son of Eleazar, son of aaron the priest has turned back my wrath from the people of israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore I say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Priesthood seems to be received when we are willing to literally slaughter people People we love, people who we consider brothers, part of our tribe for the Lord. Kylie, that's Old Testament. God doesn't have us kill people. I'm cool with that. Please don't kill your mom and your brother. Uh, if the Lord tells you to, talk to somebody. <laughs> um, maybe don't just like jump. I, I don't. That's a different conversation, you know. Um, but the heart of that pattern doesn't change. Matthew 10, 37 through 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. be worthy of Christ, to be worthy of his ministry, to be worthy of his priesthood, to serve him as priest, as, as I keep saying in my head, low priests, because he's the high priest. That's not, it's not scripture, it's just me. Um, to love everything less. To not, okay, we say take up our cross and we don't think about what that means. Christ was lashed before, in mercy, with a whip made out of like spikes and glass 39 times because 39 is mercy and 40 is judgment to the point of almost death 
carries his cross, is humiliated by a government that's not even his own people, not even God's people, dies on the cross in humiliation in front of everybody, king of the Jews. Take up your cross is a humiliating death to self. And you find your life in it. I didn't, I didn't want to leave that part out, right? The Levites had so much honor to be the priests. I don't want to forget that. And we talk a lot, but count the cost before you say, I want to be a priest. And ask yourself, am I worthy of the priesthood? Deuteronomy 10, 8. Right. That tribe of Levi, that, at this time, that's, that's the one we read first. At this time, when they slaughter their brothers for creating the golden calf. They're set apart to carry the Ark of the Covenant. I know I talked about the Ark of the Covenant, that it held the word of God, right? You literally die if you touch it. And so, I want to talk about what it means to minister, right? Because, really, we talk about being co-ministers, we talk about having a ministry, like the Ministry of Reconciliation. We'll read that verse in a little bit, but I don't think we understand what it means to minister. Uh, we're going to read in this story of the Israelites, um, the Ark of the Covenant starts in the tabernacle as they're traveling, journeying, sojourning to the Holy Land, right? It's in the tabernacle. They don't have a temple. You can't like pick a building up and move it with you. And so I really... The ESV translates it to take care of in these. And I think we miss that. Like, we think, I don't even know what we think when we think minister sometimes. Like, we just think, like, I have a ministry, therefore I talk a lot and I tell people about Christ. And that's part of the ministry of reconciliation. Like, those verses are followed by being ambassadors, right? But there's more to it to that. When the angels minister to Jesus, they're, like, literally physically taking care of him is the general understanding of it, right? So I want to read Numbers 1, 50-53, because I think we miss the dedication of the Levites in their care for the Lord, the things of the Lord. And I want to particularly say the word of God, that is the Holy of Holies, because uh, we have a word of God. He came to flesh, died for us, right? And if we're going to talk about the Word of God, I can sit here, we can talk, we can do like a whole study. The Word of God is not just your Bible, right? The Word of God is when God comes, manifests, and actively speaks, moves among his people, right? So the Word of God might come to you with Scripture, but I think to call Scripture the Word of God leaves a lot out. And it belittles a lot of when the Lord speaks. He speaks to Joshua, tells him to fight when he does all these things, and so what does it mean to care for the word of God? Because yes, it is in ours to reconcile, to bring that message, but there's more to it. And are we diligent the way they were? Numbers 1, 50 through 53, this is while they have the traveling tabernacle. Do you keep guard over the word of God? Do you keep guard over the things the Lord has spoken to you? Do you keep guard over the truth? Are you willing to build it up, tear it down, watch over it, keep with it every second of every day? I just can't imagine this is not a ridiculous amount of work. And it takes like the whole Levites too. I just like that's I know, when you read all the scholarship arguing about, like, is it the Levites or is it the Aaronites? I'm just like, all I can think in my head is, like, it took the whole tribe of Levi to move this thing. <laughs> it 
to clean it up, to set it down, to watch over it. Exodus 27, 20 through 21, they finally get it in a temple. They don't got to carry the tabernacle around. You know, you think like, oh, you get to rest? No. You shall command the people of Israel that they, that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, for the light that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn in the tents of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony. Aaron, Aaron and his son shall tend to it shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute before, forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. So all the people of Israel have a part right now, right? They're all bringing the olive oil. But day and night, evening to morning, the Levites keep guard on this. You actually, like a lot of, like the little Old Testament Bible stories we know, or like we watched Veggie Tales for or whatever, like kind of has part of this going on like Samuel when he hears from the voice of the Lord and he's like they're like keeping watch at the tent like you get pieces of the fact that the priest keep guard even when there's a temple right they keep this light going Hebrews 8 6 I'm gonna read that before I keep talking but as it is Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is since it is enacted on better promises. Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Better, better, better. I've talked about this a lot. Y'all know I'm passionate about the new covenant, the fact that we don't actually know what it means that we're in a new covenant, all of that. I want to ask the question, is the ministry of the Lord actually better for us? Do we understand what that means? And do we treat it with the honor of something that is even better than that? Because like they have enough honor for their ministry and their covenant to keep guard day and night, to build the thing up, to tear the thing down, to watch over the oil, to do the sacrifices over and over and over, daily sacrifices, annual sacrifices, to bless the name of the bless in the name of the Lord, like all of these things. And our covenant's better. Our ministry's better. Our promises, like those of adoption, are better. Yeah, okay. Adopted to the Lord Most High actually does kind of yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you beat it. <laughs> like, when you read it and you're like, "Oh, Kylie, though, that's that's Christ's ministry. Like, that's that's for the high priest." Second Corinthians three four through six. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the le- not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Right. We're still ministers. The ministry of the high priest is the ministry of the rest of the priests. He just has a bigger job. Got the job of atonement, specifically. When you can atone for our sins, let me know. What I want to talk first, we're going to actually read on in these verses, but before we do that, I want to talk about what it means that we are ministers of a covenant that is of the Spirit. I think we dishonor a lot if we just like don't talk about the Spirit tonight. Ephesians 2, 18. We're going to pull some things together, I hope. For through him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Him is Jesus. I don't think I have to say that, but for through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Both. Uh, Jews and Gentiles. Thank you. Um, actually, like most of Ephesians 2 is about Jews and Gentiles. Good, good chapter. Great. You should just read the Bible. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? You just said Ephesians was a chapter. Ephesians is a chapter. Yes. My favorite chapter, Ephesians. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, we have... <sighs> we are sufficient 
through Christ alone to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. That Spirit is what gives us access to the Father. It's what tears the curtain that separates the most holy from the holy. Let's keep going and we're going to come back to Ephesians 2 also. I like split these up real funny. It's okay. Ministers of the Spirit, the new covenant through the Spirit. Keep going, 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and through 9. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at it, and Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. I don't think I'm ever going to get over the fact that Paul calls, like, the whole history of the covenant with the Israelites and the Lord, the ministry of death and of condemnation. <laughs> but, and they n- never would have thought of it that way, right? Like, as an Israelite, you don't, you don't think this is of death. I mean, you do when you watch people touch the most holies and die. <laughs> Probs. I can't believe I just said props. We're going to move on. (laughs) But compare it to what we have. Compare it to that spirit. Compare it to the spirit that brings us access to the Father. There are times they're doing all of the rituals, all the sacrifices. When, When the Lord speaks to Samuel, it starts. So you think like Samuel's like just a little kid. He doesn't know the voice of God. So he keeps going to Eli. He says like, Samuel, Samuel. And he's like, Eli, what do you need? And Eli's like, bro, it's not me. And then, like, the third or fourth time, he's like, ah, the voice of the Lord is speaking to you. Go tell him, like, your servant's here and listening. That section starts with the voice of the Lord was so uncommon in those days. They're doing everything they can, and they don't have direct access to the Father still. The Spirit comes. The Spirit falls. We see the Spirit um, on people is a lot of the, like, the Spirit is on versus in um i did like a run through of all the ways the spirit like the language differences but here's the thing we don't speak hebrew and greek so like i can't make you promises about that but they don't have the spirit dwelling within them right how much more glory but we forget that it's the glory of the ministry it's not just the glory of the gift Right? The gift has glory in and of itself, but Christ could have died and like ended it all, right? Christ could have died and said, You're saved, you're done, that's it. He could have stayed alive, you know what I mean? Like he could have just gone around himself. He could have not handed the ministry to the other priests. He could have not handed a royal priesthood down um, to those who have not stumbled. That's the context of that verse. It's he like quotes some old testament scripture about those who stumble on the message of the gospel. But we are the royal priesthood. Because we have not stumbled. Because we've received the Spirit. Because we take care of that Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21. I don't want to neglect what it means that we are the ministry of reconciliation. And I think some of what I've said I can say over and over. But you still have to share the gospel. But I want to read these. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. <clears throat> no, 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 you're good, you're good. I went back. <laughs> the, huh? He can't see it. He can't see. He sat really far away and then couldn't read off the screen. <laughs> 
the ministry of reconciliation, taking care of reconciliation. One of the ways that we do that is with the message of reconciliation. I mean, faith comes from hearing, so that makes a lot of sense, right? Like that's, I don't want to neglect that. I think we're going to, I think this foundation of reconciliation comes into what it means. Spoiler alert that we're going to talk about what it means to be the temple of the Lord, to be the body of Christ, right? To be an ambassador, but it has to come back to that end. We are the righteousness of God. Too many churches, too many Christians end their message of reconciliation with don't go to hell, go to heaven. We're not going to, I don't know, I could, we can talk all night about what hell is, but we don't need to, we don't need to do that. Most of us have talked about it. 95% of the verses say destruction and not eternal fire. And the ones that say eternal fire, what what Luke say the one time? Of course, a marshmallow melts away and disappears and is destroyed in a, in a fire. Like the state of the fire does not determine the state of the thing being burned. So first of all, I think a little more biblical understanding of at least the possibility of what hell might be makes that message a little weaker. It sure does not make being the righteousness of God any weaker. Just remember what you're reconciling people to. Romans 15, 15 through 17. I want to talk a little bit right here about what Paul talks about as being a priest of Christ. But in some points, I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles and the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus... Then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Paul is bold because he is a priest in the service of the gospel of God, of Christ. Ah, but it's to make sure the offerings are still acceptable. They're not sacrifices, they're not sin offerings, they're not atonements, right? Christ took care of that, we can't. I can't do a whole lot more about it, you know, like, yes, work out your salvation with your own fear and trembling, but don't sacrifice and make up for your own salvation, right? We take ministries of reconciliation and we say, like, just saying Jesus is the Lord is enough. Let's not deny Jesus as Lord, like... But when Paul serves as a pre- in the priestly service, he's diligent, he's devoted... He says, I am trying to ensure that the offering that these people who are being reconciled to the Lord most high, I'm trying to make sure that their offering is acceptable, that it is sanctified by the Spirit, that it is nothing less than that. When you offer things to the Lord, are they acceptable? Are they sanctified? What does that mean? Romans 12.1. This is like, a, this is a classic, I know, but. Mm-hmm. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Oh, how we make sacrifices, offerings, not atonement offerings, just offerings, to the Lord that are acceptable, holy. We present ourselves, our bodies, this world, where you like you live in the body we live in the flesh even though we don't live for the flesh we offer it to the lord why how what does that do what does it do for god that we offer ourselves to him like we're man first corinthians 6 15 and then 19 and 20 do you not know that your bodies are members of christ shall i then take the members of christ and make them members of a prostitute never or do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from god you are not your own, for you were brought, you were bought with your price to glorify God in your body. When you offer your body to God, you are offering it as a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important that our offerings are holy, acceptable, sanctified by the Spirit. 
God's not... Here's the thing. Like, people died. People died when they went near the Holy of Holies. They went. They died when they went near the Ark, and they weren't supposed to, right? And, like, we want to hold the Holy Spirit and not be sanctified? I got... I don't, I don't, when they are building the temple, uh, Solomon... When he's praying, he's talking to the Lord, talking about building the temple. He says, but what can even contain you? Who am I to build you a house? You're the God, like the God. What? Like, how am I supposed to do this? And yet I want to bring you this glory to have a place to rest here. You're not going to be, you're not going to be something that can actually hold the Lord of Lords but you're going to be something wholly set apart and acceptable for him to rest his spirit in. And more than that, the church is where he rests his spirit. I'm going to read this one. I'm going to read all the yous as you alls, because in the Greek, they're you alls. <laughs> Do you all not know that you all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you all? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you all are that temple. You have to hold the Spirit, but we hold the Spirit, too. It's a priesthood. It's kind of like a neighborhood. It's not a neighborhood if it's got one house. Not a priesthood with one priest. Ephesians 2 18 through 22, we're going to reread 18 and then read the rest of the context that comes after it. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Because we have access to the Father in the Spirit, through the tearing of the veil, we are built up into a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells not just sometimes comes out and talks to the prophets, but dwells within this temple, these people. We're also being built into that, right? We're building the temple. That's the message of reconciliation is to build the temple. When you reconcile people, they come be a part of the church. That makes them another like stone on the temple, right? I wanna talk diligence. I wanna talk devotion. You think they were devoted when they were carrying the ark around? You think they were devoted when the temple was built? I want to talk about what it looked like when they were building the temple. And don't get me wrong, they were a mess. Like the Israelites were a mess. The whole like book of Hosea is like, bro, you all are living in luxurious life in all your beautiful houses and the Lord has no house to rest in. You don't care about me. You don't care about my temple. I mean, over and over and over. It's like, they just play this game of like, well, one day it'll be time to build the temple or like one day especially once it's destroyed really one day it'll be time to build the temple again but not not today not me there's no uh, rise this is your task attitude going on right zechariah 16 15 6 15 my bad and those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the lord and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass, if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So this is uh, the, the promise, right? Diligently obey all that I've promised it's going to come to pass. Ezra 5.8, they're building the temple. Uh, king, not the king of Jerusalem, sends a messenger to go like see what's going on a longer like historical story like he's kind of confused because it was a past king that gave permission to build the temple right sends a messenger this is the messenger's report back to what's going on he is known to the king that we went to the province of judah to the house of the great god it is being built with huge stones and timber is laid in the walls this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands to build the temple 
I don't know, we wonder at like the pyramids of Egypt sometimes and we wonder at them because like they didn't have like construction machines. I, that's a gross word. I'm sure there's a better, but like they didn't have construction sites. They don't have machines. These are people, um, slave labor also. But the temple of the Lord is just the Lord's people caring enough about his temple to build it. Caring enough that he has a house that they come together. And it's got rules after rules after rules. And he gifts people, like, literally the the first time he talk, the Lord speaks about, like, I'm going to gift these people. He says, like, I will send my spirit. Give them craftsmanship skills just to build me a house to say, yes, this is the glory you deserve. And you deserve more. We can't contain you. But we will give you the best that we have. They're diligent in building the temple. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. For building up the body of Christ. Sounds like the temple to me. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry where we are taking care of what the Lord has given us. We should probably build it a place to live, a place to settle, a place to, I don't know, dwell. And we're building it up to unity, we're building it up to knowledge, we're building it up to maturity and to the fullness of Christ. What a goal! Is it our goal? Are we building to the fullness of Christ? Are we building to the fullness of ourselves? Are we full of ourselves? Are we building to what looks good enough? What we think is, um, think about like enough to get into heaven. I think most, most, I'm just going to talk. My parents um, kind of have an attitude of like, I think I went to church enough, right? Parents, my dad's parents worked in the church. They went, like, not just Sundays, but Wednesdays, too. Like, you know, they, they, they think, I've gone to church enough. I think that's because the church has failed them. I think it's because there was not power, there was not fullness. And really, they did go to church enough for what they could get out of church. But I think it's because we teach that they're being reconciled to just not go to hell. They're being reconciled to just be good enough people. They're not being reconciled to be brought to the mature manhood and the, the measure of the fullness of Christ. They're not being brought to where they won't be tossed, where they won't feel like children in what they believe, where they can't be deceived by cunning. When you build a temple, when you build the kingdom, is this what you're focused on? Not on numbers. Not on, I gotta have the most amount of bricks but the bricks I have the offering of the Gentiles will not be in vain it will be acceptable it will be holy it will be sanctified it, they will not be tossed to and fro when I'm done building up this temple here their offering is not something that some other spirit or some other man led by some other spirit is going to come bring out in a deceitful scheme but we just check in our boxes I want to end on 2 Peter 1, 8-10 through 10 because uh, if the priests aren't holy, the offering isn't holy. So we need to talk about building the temple. We need to talk about what we're doing. We need to talk about the ministry. We need to talk about what we're building. But we also have to not forget ourselves that we've been made holy by the priest most high. The, most, whatever, the high priest in the most holy place. And that we need to be diligent in our own confirmation. Second Peter 1, 8 through 10. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, 
having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Kind of have two options laid out here. Um, I didn't read through the qualities. Welcome to do that on your own. That's like, a, they're worthwhile, right? The point is, if you practice the qualities of righteousness, if you practice the things that make you effective and fruitful instead of ineffective and fruitful in Christ, you confirm your election, your calling. What else can that mean but to the priesthood? What else can that mean but to the ministry? Or you can forget that you were cleansed. We like to think that it's enough to have cleansing. And just to stop. Gone to church enough. I know enough. I tithed enough. But if you're not growing and if you're not diligent, then you just forget it. I look at a world and I look at a church that don't know that the Lord loves them. They say it. But they've forgotten it. And at some point, so many of them did know it. That it is a forgetting, not just a not being taught. We walk around in circles wondering like, what can I do? You go to church service and say, how can I, what can I do? What can I, who can I talk to? Like, how can I change something so God will love me? Really, we're trying to be the high priest instead of just to be a priest. We've forgotten what Christ did. We've forgotten that's not our job. But we also try to just stop we try to pretend the ministry was Christ's and not ours. There's a diligence to be had. And if not, we lose everything we're here for.